Hi, and welcome to the Writers' Forum on WRBH. Today, we'll be having a special guest host, local writer Maurice Carlos Ruffin, and I'll let him take it from here. Hello, everybody. This is Maurice Carlos Ruffin, and I am here with the extremely talented writer and a good friend of mine, uh, Sarah Broom, who is the author of the uh, best-selling, critically acclaimed, well-reviewed, um, long-awaited book called The Yellow House, and we are going to have a conversation about this wonderful work. Um, I will try to uh, not sound too proud, but it's going to come out during this conversation. So, um, Sarah, welcome to the conversation. Thank you so much. It's so great to be here with you. I mean, this is a, it's such a happy day for me. I mean, look, we, we have this, this very unique history. Now, we're both from New Orleans. We're both from a neighborhood called New Orleans East. Mm-hmm. And to my awareness, we're probably the first black folks from New Orleans to publish these nationally recognized books and being from the same neighborhood. So how about that, right? That's amazing. I can't believe it. Actually, I can believe it. Yeah. Um, But I'm so looking forward to the sort of deluge, right? And I feel it. I feel like we were sort of maybe at the beginning of something, Mm -hmm. but then Mm -hmm. there'll be this flood of people, I hope, who will say... Hey, exactly. I have something to add to that. Yeah, we're going to lead it off. You know, we're, we're the trailblazers. That's it's, right. It's the pioneers. Like, we're the pioneers. Like we're in the wagon going across <laughs> the mountains and the lakes and the streams. And That's true. It's going to be a deluge. That's a good yeah. uh, word choice. Yeah. So I, I definitely want to start out by saying that I personally enjoy this book so much. And it's, it's such a pleasure to read it. I think that anybody who encounters it is going to have an experience that they can't forget. But I think that it's also really important for people to hear your voice speaking sure. your words. So I would ask you to just go ahead and read a short passage for the uh, pleasure of our listeners. So I'm going to read from the beginning a section called Map. Mm-hmm. From high up, 15,000 feet above, where the aerial photographs are taken, 4121 Wilson Avenue, the address I know best, is a minuscule point, a scab of green, and satellite images shot from higher still. My former street dissolves into the toe of Louisiana's boot. From this vantage point, our address, now mite size, would appear to sit in the Gulf of Mexico. Distance lends perspective, but it can also shade, misinterpret. From these great heights, my brother Carl would not be seen. Carl, who is also my brother Rabbit, sits his days and nights away at 4121 Wilson Avenue at least five times a week after working his maintenance job at NASA or when he is not fishing or near to the water where he loves to be. 4,015 days past the water, beyond all news cycles known to man, still sits a skinny man in shorts, white socks pulled up to his kneecaps, one gold picture frame around his front tooth. Sometimes you can find Carl alone on our lot, poised on an ice chest, searching the view as if for a sign, as if for a wonder, or else seated at a pecan-colored dining table with intricately carved legs holding court. The table where Carl sometimes sits is on the spot where our living room used to be, but where instead of floor, there is green grass trying to grow. See Carl gesturing with a long arm, if he feels like it, wearing dark shades, even if it is night. See Rabbit with his legs crossed at the ankle, a long-legged man knotted up. I can see him there now, in my mind's eye, 
silent and holding a beer, babysitting ruins. But that is not his language or sentiment. He would never betray the yellow house like that. Mm. So beautiful. So beautiful. Thank you. So I, I think we have to start at the beginning. Mm -hmm. But I do want to give our, our listeners some, some context. So you come from a, from a very large family. Yes. That's one of the sort of defining traits of the family. Defining. Something like, you know, 35 brothers and sisters. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm joking. I'm the baby of 12. Baby of 12. My goodness. My, you know, my goodness. That's, that, that's a specific way of being in the world. My goodness. And it, it's fun being the baby of 12 mm. because you are kind of an empath on some level mm -hmm. because you've been in the room with so many people with so many personalities mm. that you're always trying to suss out mm. where everyone stands. Mm. Maybe that's why I'm a writer because of that. And you're also kind of like a collector of the history of the family. Sure. Right? And always have been. Yeah. Which is so interesting. I, I always found such value in all of the sort of documents of our lives, all mm. the evidence, so mm. to speak. You know, I was I was like the little tape recorder going around and collecting the stories. Mm. And I think that never left me. Even now, mm. I feel it. I think that's part of why the book is so special, because I mean, I have to tell you, being from New Orleans mm -hmm. East, you know, growing up there, I never thought anybody could describe it. It mm. just seems so indescribable. Mm. And I love how Kiersey Lemon says when he talks about your book that mm -hmm. it's like you redefine the memoir. Mm. And I almost feel like you figured out how to tell the story for places that people don't tell stories about, mm. which means you're so impressive. So I, I do want to ask, you know, how did you decide to do this project? Because it is so unique. It is, yeah. Well, I am I think as a person and human, I think in a way in concentric circles, right? Mm. So I always like start, okay, if I'm obsessed with this one house, mm -hmm. what are the rungs, what mm. are the outer rungs sort of ringing forth from that house? Mm. And then that story just gets bigger and bigger and bigger, right? And I think it's also just how my mind works. Mm. So I was so obsessed with the fact that uh, when I started doing a lot of research, mm. New Orleans East was essentially cut off mm -hmm. from many of the maps I was looking at. Mm -hmm. And I thought, this is hugely problematic. Mm -hmm. And so what does it mean if I become the cartographer mm. and and not do a book about existing maps, but revise and expand the map? Mm. And, and of course, to be the cartographer, right, is a great position of power. Mm. It gives me the power to frame out certain things mm and bring other things into focus. And so the book really is a work of map making. It's a work of revision. And and I take it very seriously. Mm. And the idea of empowerment, I mean, you, you it's like capturing lightning. That's, that's how I feel. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, who decides that they want to do, rewrite a map essentially. You're right, you know, I've looked at many maps. And whenever somebody says, well, where are you from? I say, well, there's this place called New Orleans East, and it's actually bigger than the city itself almost. You know, it's, it's yeah, huge in comparison to, right. to, to the city proper. Yeah, I, I, I'm really interested in centrality. Mm -hmm. Who sort of occupies a central position in yeah. a story? And I don't know that I feel centrality is the only way mm -hmm. to be in a story. Mm -hmm. But I was interested in these were the people I knew mm -hmm. and the world I knew. Mm -hmm. And how do I make them not supporting actors, but mm -hmm. central characters mm -hmm. in the story? Mm -hmm. And so I couldn't write. I'm not that interested in um, a sort of one dimensional way of thinking. Mm -hmm. And so I was never interested in a kind of memoir that centered me. Mm -hmm. um, I, I feel out of, if I'm out of context, that's a kind of trauma to me. Mm -hmm. And so I'm always striving 
to put myself in context. Mm. And if you're the youngest of 12 people, mm. you're always surrounded, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I can't imagine ever writing any story. Yeah. And I hope I'll write many other books that just have me as a right. kind of central figure without a kind of chorus. Well, and the book does it so well. I mean, in terms of context, you go back so far decades, many mm -hmm. decades, to a time period in New Orleans that I've rarely ever seen um, chronicled. Mm -hmm. And so you have that, that generation before your brothers and sisters even you know, mm -hmm. two or three generations back. And, and can you talk about how important it was to you to go back and tell the stories of people who have not been with us for some time and whose stories mm -hmm. probably never would have been told without you doing mm -hmm. it? Well, I love that. You know, that was the grounding for me. So mm -hmm. a lot of things are happening in the book, right? Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm interrogating what it means to be from New Orleans, and I'm interrogating in a way what it means to come from soft ground you know, ground which is subsiding mm. over time. And so to me, going back was a kind of foundation. Mm. If I'm building a house, the house of the book, mm -hmm. you know, who undergirds this structure? Mm -hmm. And and I wanted, the, you know, also to create this kind of mythology, a family mythology. Mm. Every mythology needs an origin story, mm. right? We mm. all have the this is where it all began. Mm -hmm. And I was trying to make a point about who gets included in the story of New mm -hmm. Orleans. So so I needed to talk about my grandmother and the way she belonged to New mm -hmm. Orleans. And I needed to talk about her mother. And, and you know, these people were born on plantations. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so that kind of grounding for me, you know, these women, this kind of matriarchal community, they, they arrive and they name themselves mm. the thing they want to be called, mm. and they make places their own. Mm. It all leads to my mother. Mm. And so without that history, I felt that my mother would be would have been out of context, mm. right? And so, so the work of the map is to provide context and a kind of shoring up. So that's the thing that it, it just felt so intuitive mm. to, the, to the telling of the story. Well, can you back up and tell me about the act of deciding to write this and how yeah. you actually got started? Because I'm sure that people listening are like, how did he, like, where did this idea even come from? And what did you, like, physically do to get this, this ball rolling, so to speak? Well, I was obsessed always with the Yellow House as a sort of architectural place. Mm -hmm. it, you know, when I left home for college in the 90s, I was obsessing about the sort of way the house was falling down and how it didn't feel that it was safe in certain ways. And and I think over time, so I wasn't writing The Yellow House as the book appears now, but I was sort of thinking about mm. architecture and space. And, and so I think over time, the story began to take root, and especially after 2005, mm. right, um, when the house was sort of uh, ambushed, in mm. a sense, by the flooding and the water. I started to reckon with, well, what does it mean, my relationship to this place? Mm. And then when it was gone, you know, demolished in 2006, mm. I was just contending with the loss of it. Mm. And that that was so penetrating to me. It refocused and clarified things. Mm. And and that was the moment when I thought, oh, this is going to become a thing. But I, oh. I still didn't start writing it until right. 2011. Right. You know, it was a long... So hopefully my future books don't take... <laughs> As long. But I, I guess, I mean, to a certain extent, I mean, as somebody from this city, yeah. you know, who experienced Katrina like many of us did, either mm -hmm. from losing a house or people being affected with my family or myself being affected, there, was, there must have been a period of, I have to sit back and think about this 
thing that happened to my community and to my family. Sure. I, I didn't I had no intention to write a Katrina book, mm. whatever that means. Mm. And part of what bothered me so much about a lot of the stories coming out is that they happened so fast. They almost mm. got out ahead of us seeing the effects mm. of the deep seated trauma. Mm. And I was interested in the long view. I think I am always interested in that. And and so for me, the story that I wanted to tell put Katrina in context. And I couldn't tell that story quickly. Mm. I had to sort of see how the chips were falling, mm. right? And so ultimately, you know, this story ends where it ends mm. because that felt like the complete picture mm. of what it all meant. And I couldn't, no one would understand. For those of us who are from here, mm. we know that what was lost was bigger than any of us. Right. And it wasn't just that moment, right? Mm. Katrina reminds people of Betsy, reminds mm -hmm. people of Camille, mm -hmm. reminds people of 1927, mm. reminds people of the history of America. Mm. And so my work was like, how do I pay a kind of homage to the bigness of this? Right. You know, to, to what it means to people in the Gulf Coast region mm. to still be contending with this. Right. I mean, people in New Orleans, people out yeah. in the parishes, people in Mississippi, All people over. in Galveston, Texas. Yeah, um, and I love that you mentioned that because, yeah. you know, the thing that I say a lot and that is so important for me is that I'm telling the story of my particular family mm. in one particular part of the East, mm. even. The East is massive. Yes. There are so many different kinds of neighborhoods that weren't exactly like my neighborhood, right? But but in some way, we all have this kind of tethering, mm. a, a tethering and connection to place and to land. And we were all struck mm. by the environmental catastrophe and the human uh, negligence mm. of it, right? Well, one of the things that for me, is almost magical in the book, but I know mm -hmm. this is you taking the time, using your skills, making sure it appears on the page, is how it's almost, the way you move through time and space, and you tell this huge story. I mean, like, I didn't know anything about the history of the East, like, in the 50s and 60s. Nobody's ever mentioned that to me. I haven't seen it in the book anywhere. I'm like, mm -hmm. how did she even figure this out, mm -hmm. right? So it's almost like you're on a space station looking down on the Earth, you know, using, like, the, the Google Maps, and you can see everything possible. But then the flip side is that it's also... The love for your family is so clear for all these people, all, all your brothers and sisters, all the cousins and uncles and aunts, you know, your mom, you know, your, your grandfolk. And mm -hmm. so I'm just really impressed. And I'm not sure if there's not even a question really mm -hmm. here, but just it's clear to me that you knew the people so well and then understood that as a writer, you had to use certain techniques to bring them to life on the page. And I mean, how you managed to, to make everybody seem so specific and different when there's so many of them yeah. is really a feat in Thank my mind. Thank you. Thank you, Maurice. I mean, coming from you, that that's huge, and I take it to heart. I mean, the thing that helps me, I think, is that I really detest binaries. Mm. I really don't want someone to seem—it's not hagiography hey for me, because I actually think— a kind of one-dimensional view of a person is actually an insult to them. Right. <laughs> so I'm always, so it was hard, right? Because these are people who are alive, mm. my siblings mm. and my mother, right? Mm. And and so I'm trying to be clear for the reader. You have to really understand who these people are because right. they are characters. Even though it's right. nonfiction, they're characters and they have to have arcs, right? Mm. And there's a way you're going to connect to my mother, mm -hmm. and that should be a specific thing. So how do you sort of dig into all the granularity of who they are? Your mother's so special. Oh, she is. I mean, it's just the way you... 
described her life and her sort of starting out so early mm-hmm. and having to figure out things over and over again and just, I mean, really being indomitable. She just never stopped. Yeah. You know, the things that was put people, you know, was stopping in their tracks. She just kept moving and moving. I'm like, where does this energy come from? That's true. And she's still that way still to that this way. day. Wow. You know, my mother, I really wanted to create this portrait of a woman mm-hmm who long before the sort of obvious tragic events mm-hmm. was contending with her own disappointments, mm-hmm. who, who is, my mother is truly a poet. Mm-hmm. She should have been writing many, many books. Mm-hmm. You know, she's the way I came to know language mm-hmm. and to love language, just the sound of her talking. Mm-hmm. And so one of the big challenges for me after I'd done hundreds of hours of interviews with her and transcribed them. I transcribed all of the interviews because I wanted to hear the sound of each person in my ear. And I thought, this is actually, my mother should be writing this book. And I thought, how can this be my book, but my mother also speak for herself? Right. And, you know, italics can be hard. Well, that technique is an amazing technique because I almost feel, it's almost kind of spooky. Like the first time sure. you do it, I'm like, how can I hear this woman's voice <laughs> on the page? And it's yeah. just it's being broadcast. So it was a great choice, I think. Oh, good. Yeah. No, she is sort of like a whisper from the wall. Yeah. It, that's how I sort of imagined her mm. voice in the book. Mm. So in a way, she comes in as a corrective. Mm-hmm. She is as a mother would be, right? Mm-hmm. She sort of dismisses certain things or says, you know, you're not paying attention. Right. Or there's a kind of ancestralness right, right. to her voice that, right. that she composes several women. She's yeah. like my grandmother speaking and mm. my grandmother's mother, who she never met. And mm. she's many women. Mm. But but her words and the way she puts words together mm. are so intriguing to me. And you also have this technique of sometimes, so you have like the italics for her often, mm-hmm. but then you have like your other br- relatives mm-hmm. who appear in quotations. And I'm thinking there's so much going on here. And it's almost like it's like a symphony of voices from your family. It's a beautiful thing. Oh, thank you. And they all speak so specifically. You know, rabbit doesn't sound quite yeah. like, you know, this uncle or whatever like right. that. Yeah, yeah, and I love the fact that it's clear you're sort of taking all the stories and trying to figure out what the truth is. But then, but then what is truth, right? That's and so right. You're just sort of laying it out there and saying, well, th- these are what we think may have been the facts of these cases. Yeah, and let's play a bit. You know, let's have fun. There's a lot of whimsy uh, for me in the writing of it. Mm. And and so my mother, for instance, is is sort of like uh, jockeying, Mm. you know, with these other voices. And Mm. and they're only... Uh, my mother is the only person in italics until the the section called water. Right. When Carl, my brother Carl, mm-hmm. takes the mic, so to speak, mm-hmm. and and his story is then presented. He becomes the main speaker, mm-hmm. the main character, so to speak, mm-hmm. and sort of describes this lost world. Mm-hmm. You know, a world that you used to know, mm-hmm. but now the landmarks are buried underwater. Right. And 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 so that that is such a like sort of prominent voice. What happens in the italics is a kind of master voice yeah. for me. Yeah, it's like a voice I'm studying almost mm. because as a writer, as the narrator, I sound so different throughout. Right, right? right. I, I sort of play around with high low. Yeah, you know, I try not to stay in one register. The voice is variable, and, and it's amazing. Like you, you sound one way talking about. Your parents, um, when they first got together, mm-hmm. versus talking about the like the guys from Texas who kind of invented New Orleans East. Sure. And I'm like, how did she change the voice so quickly and effortlessly? I didn't even see it happening. And then you switch right back, and I'm like, 
it's just for me it's very enjoyable because the voice does vary so much within it mm-hmm. and yet there's this authority to it I never feel like mm-hmm. yeah it's not quite working right there I did wonder about, like, music, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, Lil Wayne. Yeah. You know, you have this these sort of moments where you just sort of engage with the music. And, again, that whimsy is coming out there. Can you talk about that? Yeah. I mean, I love Lil Wayne. and Who doesn't? And we all do. We all do. If we're listening to this, we all do. And, and part of what is um, – what I love in his music is the sort of, sort of baked-in philosophy mm. of it. Um, and the absolute whimsy and sort of wilding out that mm-hmm. happens mm-hmm. in the language, Constantly. right? How it just goes off, yeah. right? It builds to a crescendo yeah. and then sort of loses itself. Yeah, right. And and it plays. It's playful. And it's also extremely dark My at goodness. times. And, and it's sorrowful. And so I love this moment where, you know, his voice just kind of coalesces. Mm. And becomes this thing that rises sort of above all of us. Mm-hmm. And I think of Lil Wayne's voice mm-hmm. as like the voice of me and my siblings oh together. My oh, my goodness. You that's, see what that's I'm incredible. saying? And so I, he's like my guy, my hero in that way. And, and so when I listen to him, there's like so much baked in it. Oh, my goodness. I mean, there's so much in what he does. I mean, there's so many lines that stand yeah. in for bigger ideas. Like when he says, I'm from New Orleans, the Creole cop pit. <laughs> Or you know, real G is moving in silence like yeah, lasagna. That's and it's right. like, like how do you how do you think of that? You know. <laughs> well, and that's also that's what I mean by whimsy and yeah. play. And it's whimsy and minutes, like you it say, is, it's all yeah. there at the same time. Yeah. So I I feel like he's like my spirit human animal. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. and and just sort of like how do I. Because, you know, if you think of the structure of the book, right, so it's like symphonic in a way with the movements, but also it totally disrupts and plays with what that means. Mm. And it, it's Lil Wayne and it's Fela Kuti. Wow. Right. And so it does all of these musical things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also the way that Lil Wayne sort of has this complex relationship, I think, right. to New Orleans. Totally. Right? And and sort of embodies that. Yeah. I mean, he's um, here, but he's not here. That's he, right. He always died here, but this was like, <laughs> this, this birthed him. So yeah. there's so many complexities there. Yeah. So, um, and that reminds me a lot of Louis Armstrong. Yeah, you know, totally. this, you know, I, it, there's a famous uh, moment when he said, you know, don't bury me in New Orleans. Right. Right. Okay, that's so profound to exactly. me. Exactly. And I think in a way that gets to this sort of tension and complexity between mm. staying and going, mm-hmm. you know, and what it means to stay and what it means to go and the ways in which going can sometimes feel, you know, traitorous. Well, in a well sense. and it's so complicated, right? Because, I mean, like you've had a very interesting life. I mean, you don't have to tell us about your entire background, <laughs> but you've like, you know, you've traveled and worked in Africa, you've worked sure. for Oprah, you've done yeah. all these various things. Yeah. And I would have to assume that some of the skills that you've developed that made this book possible it's, it's you being from here, but also being in those places and coming back to this place. Sure. You know, with that with that set of talents. Um, yeah. And, and I think perspective, right? Perspective, Because yeah. I know that distance is crucial to the telling of any story. Right. That's also the power of being unmapped. Yes. You know, it's sort of like, you know, what James Baldwin said. If I know your name, you ought to know mine. Right. Uh, you know, distance really allows you to see, mm. I think. And so for me... It is interesting to have mm. done all those things. For instance, when I was in Burundi, I was like, oh, my God, the stuff we're contending with in New Orleans is not dissimilar. Right. These are these are human rights, human needs. Right. Right. It allowed me to sort of think more broadly mm. of the problem. Mm. 
And I think sometimes when problems are thought of in the kind of silo that mm. often happens from a kind of close-upness, mm. that we it's harder to solve them. Well, was there a part of the book that, I won't say it was harder to write, but gave mm-hmm. you more resistance, where you sort of had to keep backing up or you know recranking the motor and trying to get it going? Yeah, for sure. The part where I critique New Orleans, mm. there's, a, there's a part uh, where I, I sort of build to this ultimate critique about what the myth of New Orleans well, you went in. means. Yeah. And I I was afraid to say it uh, at first. Mm. And I said it, I was sort of like backing away from mm. it or I was going sideways to it. And, and it was important for me to just lay it all out. And I would also say that that's only the beginning of, of what I plan to do, you know, going <laughs> forward. I'm still examining this. But that was so hard to write because somehow mm. it felt like well, why are you telling on your city? Which was, mm. of course, the issue of telling my family story. Right, right. Like, why are you telling on your family? You was know, this is our business. Like, I mean, I know you talk about talk mm-hmm. about in the book somewhat. You sure. being the sort of baby who's the sort of historian yeah. or storyteller. Sure. Or, but, you know, there, there, there's some things that maybe are not on the page. I'm just wondering, oh, sure. how did it feel for you to be this person telling their stories and your sort of right to do that? It was really hard. And I think it helped that I had done all of these interviews with them. They got very familiar with my red tape recorder. Uh. And But I think still, even still, when I was writing, I just sometimes felt like, is this really my thing to tell? And I had to keep reminding myself that, you know, I have a story, too. And, and they're sort of part of that story. Um, and often, if something felt too revealing... I would call up the sibling who I was writing about and say, you know, remember I asked you and interviewed you about this? You know, this is actually going in the book. This is going to be there. Are you cool with that? You know, and and I think there are other things which are just really hard. It's hard to, for my mother to read the description of the house as I saw it. Oh, right. right. Um, because it was the place she loved and the place that belonged to her. Mm. Um, but I needed to tell that part of the story. So I do think it was a major negotiation mm. because I needed to tell the truth while also feel, you know, being a little bit protective of them in certain well, ways. Well, I mean, there's, there's a combination to me of courage in that, mm-hmm. but also a love and respect for your family because there are many writers who are afraid to tell their family stories. They don't mm-hmm. want to insult anybody sure. you know, or you know, feel like a traitor. Yeah. But then also they have that that care, those, sort of, those, those soft gloves to say, I love you so much. I'm doing this for us. Yeah. And, you know, you've done this thing, so now they can't be forgotten. You know, that's what I always say to them Mm. (laughs) when they are, like, critiquing various things I'm saying. I say, this is bigger than all of us. And and I think that is the ultimate truth for me, that when none of us are on the planet, Mm. this story will survive. Absolutely. You know. So talk more about your hopes for the future, like this idea that, now, here you are, this writer from New Orleans. I mean, mm-hmm. you've created this, this incredible work. And I know for a fact that there are going to be many young people, particularly people of color, black kids, mm-hmm. reading this book and thinking, wait, this is possible. I can do this myself. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? Well, that gives me the most joy mm-hmm. and excitement. It's the reason I wrote this book. I literally wrote this book for all the kids like me mm-hmm. who didn't see a story of themselves mm-hmm. in the world. And that is such a profound act. You know, I know it as a reader. When I read and I, and I say, whoa, I'm not alone, it, it completely blows my mind. So I cannot wait to see the ways in which 
New Orleans kids add to this story mm. and enhance it so that we have more uh, of our story in books that we don't always have to go to the primary sources and put it all together. You know what's going to happen at some point, <laughs> maybe in the next five or ten years, some young person is going to say, you know who my spirit animal is? It's Sarah Broom. Oh, my God. There's no doubt about it. It's got to happen eventually. <laughs> well, I know you have um, a huge tour coming up. So after New Orleans, can you tell me about some of your dates around yeah. the, the country? So I'm going, so I don't know the exact dates, but I'm definitely going to be in um, at the Decatur Book Festival. Mm -hmm. So that comes after New Orleans, mm -hmm. which is 828, and then the Decatur Book Festival. And then I'm in uh, Jackson, uh, Mississippi, and Oxford, I'm really excited about that. Um, and then I'm in Philly. And that that's like the most I can handle right now. Right, and right. then it sort of keeps going. Right. I think I'm in 15 or so cities. Boy, and I can only see people or even reach out even more. You know, come to Australia, come to London, come to Japan, please. <laughs> yeah. And, and present this to us. I would go there. Yeah. Well, of course. <laughs> well, I just want to say again that, I mean, I, personally as a New Orleanian, I feel lucky that I get to experience this work. Thank you, Marcus. And so thank you very much for it, and I look forward to whatever you have coming out in the future. Thank you. So thank you for being here. Thank you so much, bro. That was author Sarah M. Broom in conversation with Maurice Carlos Ruffin. Sarah's new book is The Yellow House, which is out now. And that's our show. You've been listening to the Writers Forum on WRBH 88.3 FM here in New Orleans. You can catch our show every Thursday at 3 p.m. and on Sundays at 8.30 a.m. All of our shows are archived online, which you can find at our SoundCloud page at soundcloud.com slash WRBH Reading Radio, as well as on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I'm David Benedetto. Until next time.